Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today we're going to be talking about fishing midges, particularly fishing midges that are dry or emergers. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to fish them, why you fish fish them, and some of the things that go into fishing this type of midges. Now, there are other episodes of the podcast that kind of flirt with the idea of fishing midges. Uh, but to be honest with you, I didn't go back and re-listen to them or look at my show notes from them because all of them were multiple years old. And we're going to cover some of the same ground. So if you are a new listener to Casting Across, this is going to be all new information. If you've been listening for a number of years, I'm sure I will talk about some of the same concepts. But one of the things I think is important and interesting about revisiting some of the same topics over and over again over the course of five or ten years is that there's different ways of looking at the same thing. So nothing is going to be too redundant. So that being said, let's get into fishing midges. So what is a midge? Now, there are no formal dictionary definitions of what a midge is in the context of fly fishing. Uh, there's lots of different perspectives on what a midge is. Some people say a midge is anything that is teeny tiny. Uh, so, But even that, there's different perspectives on what is teeny tiny. I know a lot of anglers that balk at anything that is size 18. Um, but I know a lot of uh, other fly fishers, particularly those that are all about fishing midges and really geek out over it, that say you're talking probably more in the size 24 before you start talking small. And, and of course, then you have the, the tires that try to show off how uh, intricate of a fly they can tie on a size 30 hook, which at that point, uh, you're really just showing off. And I don't think the fish care that much. So there's a variety of definitions and perspectives on what fishing midges looks like. And then I know that there's some people who really don't see fishing tiny nymphs as midge fishing. Uh, they are wet flies, they are nymphs, uh, but they are not midges. And I almost lean this way. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but when I think of fishing midges, 
I think of fishing, like I said, dry flies or emerger style dry flies in that surface film. Uh, because when I am thinking about fishing midges, I'm thinking about fish that are rising, whether to be a dry fly, a, a, an actual rise, or taking flies off that surface film or in that surface film. Uh, in my mind, and in a lot of the uh, kind of classic midge fishing literature, that's what people are focusing on. So I'm not going to say you're wrong if you have a little bit of a different perspective, and I don't expect for you to tell me that I am perfectly right. But that's kind of what we're focusing on today. Now, why this? Why this one particular niche, this one little facet of fly fishing? I find that if you become a competent midge fisher in the sense that I'm talking about fishing midges, then you have an opportunity to fish dry flies 12 months out of the year because there is going to be something as long as you are not fishing a wholly artificial and infertile stream, there's going to be something that is hatching, something that is going to be emerging, something that's going to be landing on the surface of the water that will elicit some of the fish in that population, in that stream, to rise and uh, take a dry fly or an emerger fly, like I said, 24, uh, 7, uh, 12 months out of the year. And that is why I think it's worth becoming a competent midge fisher. I love fishing dry flies. Uh, most people love fishing dry flies. Is it as efficient as being a great Euronympher? No, it, it's not. You're going to catch more fish if you are a competent Euronymph fisher, or even just a, a competent nymph fisherman, whether it be with a bobber or whether it be with a, um, a traditional uh, nymph rig. Uh, you're going to catch a lot of fish because the majority of the fish are going to be feeding in the most efficient way, which for them means not moving a whole lot. So if they're able to sit close to the bottom, a place where they are not fighting as much of a current because of the uh, drag that is uh, being created by the, uh, the the surface of the, the stream bed and the water, as well as the safety and the security they feel from being close to rocks uh, and from not having to rise up. They're moving side to side and up and down a matter of inches rather than having to do a traditional rise, or if they're chasing an emerger, that's where you see those big splashy rises. So that's where most of the fish are going to be feeding. But it's a lot of fun to watch a fish come up and rise to a fly, and that is what we want. Uh, it, it's In some ways, it's easier because you can see the whole thing happen. In other ways, it's a little bit harder because uh, you can see the whole thing happen, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, and also, you, you have to make sure that that drift is going to be completely drag-free, particularly if you're fishing glassy water and those fish are taking the time to really assess what they are rising up to eat. Uh, there's a lot less room for error uh, when it comes to fishing very, very small flies on very light tippets. So this is why I think it's worth fishing these flies. Now, it's not for everybody, particularly if you are limited in your eyesight. Uh, if you are limited in your dexterity, it is not an easy thing to tie on size 20 and smaller. Now, this is where I would say you need to lean on some of the crutches that have been made available by modern technology. And it's not even that modern technology, things like tweezers and threading, you know, threader boxes where you can thread all of your 20s, 22s, 24s onto these little threading devices. And then you can just pass your tippet through the end of the threading device and then slide your fly on. Um, if you're out fly fishing, there's a good chance you'll be able to do something like that even if you don't have great eyesight. 
then use magnification, whether it be a, a simple magnifier box or even a separate magnifying device. Um, I actually carry one because it's incredibly um, uh, sm small and it just slides into my pack. And I use it sometimes when I'm trying to figure out why I can't get my uh, tippet into the eye of my fly. Sometimes it's because I have I am trying to shove that 6x into a too small of a hook eye on a particular hook on a midge. Sometimes it's there's some sort of goop or some sort of thread or debris or even just the, the last 7x I had in that hook eye I haven't taken out completely. So using that magnification, I'm not fussing, I'm not messing, I'm just quickly figuring out the problem. But if you need that magnification to see what's going on, then by all means, use that. Uh, so there are a lot of, like I said, crutches that are available today so you can fish these flies. Now, as far as the flies themselves, there's a few things that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, there's no shame in buying midge flies, but a lot of midges don't require a whole lot of sophistication as far as technique goes. The problems that you're going to run into is manipulating the materials at that small size and purchasing the materials that are at that small size because the threads that you're working with the hackles that you're working with for um for the for the hackle of the fly those are going to by necessity be much smaller and so it is a little bit of an investment you're not going to be using the capes that you would use to tie your normal dry flies and maybe even necessarily the dry the thread that you would tie all of your normal size patterns with because a thicker thread will create a really bulky body very quickly and you're going to want to limit and and um, really mitigate the bulk that you have on a fly like that. And so you are going to have to invest a little bit. But then beyond the investment on those materials, you also have to be able to manipula manipulate excuse me, those uh, materials well, even at that very, very small size. So one of the things that I always recommend to folks, and this is how I started tying midges in the 22 and smaller, and I, I don't get crazy. I'm talking like maybe 22s and 24s. I don't, I, I've tied 26s before, but um, what I do is Griffith's gnats. You can really get a good set of habits on how to build up a body, how to work with a small hackle, and how to palmer it well, where to stop that palmering, how to tie off that feather, and how to create a very, very small head and a tight little whip finish knot, and then how to apply something like epoxy or uh, head cement where you're not going to gunk up the hook eye on a size 24 hook. So Griffith's Gnat is a great way to start. And then just regular midge patterns, which is your most basic dry fly, a simple tail, a simple body, a simple hackle, uh, no wing, uh, nothing fancy, nothing cute. It's You can use the same material for the tail as you use for the, the hackle uh, and your thread. So you're really talking about two materials and a hook. Very simple to tie, but again, tying them well, tying them so they proportion properly, so they float right, and tying them so that you don't crowd that hook eye, uh, which would create a lot of problems for you on the stream, is something that's worth doing. So I would say starting from the fly, we're kind of moving uh, moving from the fish, why you want to pursue the fish, to the fly, and now we're moving up. Tip it. Uh, I... I have no problem using 7x tippet. Uh, some people think it's overkill in the sense that it's really, really small. But uh, have you ever stopped and pulled on 7x tippet? Uh, as long as the tippet's in good shape, as long as it's not an old spool, as long as it's not something that's been on the water and then rolled on your reel and then kinked up, um, pull on it. it. It's got a pretty high 
strength. And you're you're not going to be, you know, fishing for those 20 plus inch fish all the time. Although I've caught quite a few large fish on midges. Um, but as long as you can fight a fish well, as long as you know how to play a fish, as long as you're using a rod that has a good tip, uh, which we'll get to rods here in a second, you know, 7x needs to be in your arsenal. And some of it has to do with, as I alluded to earlier, getting that tip through the eye of the hook. You need to be able to do that. Otherwise, it's a complete wash. But also, it has to do with the influence that that tippet is going to play on that fly as it drifts uh, and as it casts. So we'll, we'll talk about the cast first because you got to cast the fly before you can drift the fly. So you want that tippet to be supple enough to turn over that fly. And we're talking minute variables that go into play when you're maybe a 18 inch section or a 24 inch section of 7x versus 6x and how that is going to turn over a fly. But when that fly is a size 22 or 24 Griffith's gnat, then that is going to to make a difference. It's going to be a small difference, but when you're talking about precise presentations in small pockets of water in small little feeding lanes, then that may make the difference. And the pound test difference between 7x and 6x is not significant enough to warrant going cheap or, or going up a size uh, if presentation is going to make a difference. So that has to do with the cast. But then as far as the presentation goes and the drift goes, you'll also notice a difference with that. Uh, this is something that you've you've inevitably seen a rigid or more stiff or even maybe too stout of a, a transition in your leader and tippet and how it, that will influence the drift of a dry fly uh, more than a long tippet will. Now, long tippets can be unwieldy. They can be difficult, especially if you're not making really long casts or if you are making really long casts. But trying to find that that happy medium uh, of a length of tippet on your leader is something that you want to figure out, especially when it comes to fishing small dry flies, because that fly is not going to provide enough surface tension to mitigate any sort of drift that is coming from that tippet or that leader or even the end of your fly line as it's getting pulled along at a different pace of a different current. You'll even find if you're fishing really small midges, whether they be dry or whether they be in the surface film, where that surface uh, speed of that water is pulling the bulk of your leader and even your tippet along at a pace that is quicker than that tiny little fly. And so it's going to start to drag. Now, if you're fishing glassy surfaces, fish are going to notice that and they're going to be completely turned off by it. Of course, you're going to have times when the fish chase a, a dragging midge and they go crazy for it, or they're going to be chasing it as you're pulling it up to make the cast because they're fish after all, and who knows why they do what they do. But I go through a lot of 6x and 7x when I am fishing midges. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever owned a spool of 8x tippet before. I'm, I'm sure I have sometime in the past, but uh, I find that 7x gets into the eyes of pretty much every, every hook I'm fishing these days. Uh, and so that's something that's really important. And then to have a good dry fly leader is also a, a important aspect of fishing midges. And again, this is just a good transition because that is what you're, you're endeavoring to 
do with any sort of fly cast, particularly when it when you're fishing a small, uh, almost weightless fly. So the majority of your traditional dry fly and nymph and wet fly fishing, you, you want a good smooth transition of power from the belly of your fly line to the head of your fly line to your, your leader onto your tippet and fly. And fishing a midge, which is essentially weightless, is no exception to that. So a good dry fly leader. Uh, more often than not, just a very quick and dirty uh, um, rig for midges that I like to use would be a nine foot long 6x knotless tapered leader with an additional two feet of 7x tied on the end of it. That was a great starting place. And then as you start eating into that leader, um, because of snags, because of missed uh, fish, because of changing flies, then uh, going for, to like eight feet of that knotless tapered leader, and then 18 inches of, of five, excuse me, of six X, and then another 18 inches of, of seven X to create out that uh, 11, 11 and a half foot leader. It's castable, especially with an eight and a half foot or nine, nine foot rod, uh, something in the four or five or six weight uh, range, which getting to the rod that you use for fishing midges, I like to use longer rods. Now, that's not to say I don't use shorter rods. In fact, just a couple of days ago, I was fishing a five and a half foot four weight, uh, catching all sorts of fish on midges, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but this was a very special rod that was designed with a very special purpose in mind, uh, but it wasn't particularly fast. It was a fiberglass rod. But I like to fish that eight, eight and a half foot or nine foot rod, four, five, and six weight for midges for a few reasons. Um, you're able to have a much smoother cast with a much better transition of energy in that fly line to turn over those longer, more delicate leaders with that tiny fly. Uh, by having a longer rod. Uh, if you have a six weight that has a delicate tip, it is going to give you the energy to create those nice long loops that uh, you need to, to be able to lay that line out well. Um, and then also you're able to cast at longer distances. That's not to say that a four weight is going to be limiting because you can cast great with a four weight. If you're on bigger water and you're going to be fishing for bigger fish, um, then using something like a five or six weight is going to be a completely fine tool. You don't need to go down to a one or a two or a three weight just because you're fishing size 22 and 24 flies. What you are worrying about more often than not when you're fishing midges is your line, line management, both in your cast and then in your mending. Because again, getting back to what we talked about before, making sure that your fly is not dragging, that your leader and your tippet are not having an undue influence on your fly is of utmost importance. But then as you're making that cast with that medium to medium fast action rod, then you're going to also want a tip that is going to be able to suppress and dampen that fish as it makes runs. This is more important than the weight of the rod, and this is more important than the action of the rod because you can have faster rods that have soft tips and and you can have you know uh softer rods that uh, don't react very quickly because they're a little heavier so to have a soft tipped rod is really important irrespective of the weight that you choose to use so my ideal midge fishing setup uh is an eight and a half foot five weight uh on smaller streams because that gives me the length to make the mends that i want to make and it has a, this is a medium fast rod in my in my mind uh, that's going to have a, enough of a backbone to make a nice long delicate cast that allows that fly to have that kind of presentation where it's not splashing down. 
I have found, and again, this is limit, relatively limited experience, although I fish for, for, with midges for on some of the most selective spring creek trout for uh, quite a long, long time. I've found that whereas you can make a big caddis splash down or a big mayfly splash down, certainly terrestrials um, and, and bugs like that splash down and it'll drive fish crazy. I have never had experience splashing midges that has turned out well. I, I, either fish don't care about it or it's something that they don't want. Because a lot of times these these bugs are either emerging or they have been in the surface for a long time. It's not necessarily a hatch that they're they're chasing. They're just looking at bugs that are floating in the surface film. So I want to make that real nice, delicate presentation. When, I, when it comes to presentation, I know we're going through things at lightning pace, but again, that's kind of the nature of this podcast, isn't it? Uh, when it comes to making that presentation, I find that making a presentation as far upstream as possible is one of the best ways to ensure that that fish looks at your fly. So bare minimum, I'm thinking six to eight feet above above that fish. Now, of course, if the water is moving fast, if there's a little bit of chop on it, um, or if there's a lot of turbidity uh, or, or, or a lot of junk in the water, then you can certainly get closer to the fish. And if a fish is being particularly uh, feisty that day, you can put it right on its nose. But for these small bugs, when the when the fish are really being analytical, giving it time to eye up that thing floating towards it and for it to discern that very, very tiny thing is a tiny bug as opposed to a tiny bit of debris, uh, I, I think that that generates a little bit more success. And then also, and here's one of the important things about fishing midges, is patience. Not only patience to wait for fish, but patience after that fish takes the fly. Because uh, when, when you're fishing a traditional dry fly, let's just say a size 14 or 16 mayfly, you got a blue wing olive on there. When that fish rises, as soon as that fish turns his head is when you can start to think about setting the hook. And for many of us, particularly if we're new anglers or we're a little bit older, then once the thing happens, you need to be setting the hook because it happens so quickly. When you're fishing midges, it requires an extra beat of time because that hook is so small. Uh, there's sometimes where I'm fishing hooks that uh, are, are manufactured to have a little bit of a, a bend in them, certainly not a circle hook or anything like that, but where it's the, the tip of the hook, the point of the hook is even pointed upward towards the eye a little bit. Well, I'll go in with my forceps and very, very gently, because these are incredibly fine wire hooks, I'll open that hook up a little bit because the hook is so small that it, if, if that fish's mouth is open ever so slightly, then that thing is going to come out without making any contact with the mouth of that fish. So if you have to wait a little bit to set the hook on a traditional dry fly, then one more beat is necessary to set the hook on a midge. Now, are there some fish that are going to spit that thing out as soon as it touches their mouth and they realize it's not real food or they happen to sense that your tippet's in their mouth? Of course, but that's going to happen with dry flies no matter what. With that midge, giving it that extra little bit of time gives that fish's mouth an opportunity to close and it's hard. And it's one of the things that as, as you think about it, you think, how can I in that moment be patient? And for me, it's, it's sitting there as this drift's happening, as this fish is eyeing up that fly saying, don't set the hook, don't set the hook, don't set the hook, don't set the hook. And it's almost like my, that, that slows down my body enough that I don't have to think about setting the hook. I'm just thinking about not setting the hook so that when that fish takes, it gives me that extra beat 
before I raise my arm up and set the hook on that fish. And then again, assuming you have a good rod with a nice soft tip, then you're able to play that fish almost as normal. You allow it to, to run a little bit, but keep good tension on it. And assuming you're fishing a barbless hook, then just as long as you keep tension on it, it doesn't matter if it is a one-aught hook or if it is a size 26 hook. As long as you keep good pressure on that fish and you had a good hook set, then you have a good chance of landing it. Um, just, you know, don't horse the thing in, but, but you would snap off uh, 5X or 4X if you did that. And don't let the fish run like crazy because then you're going to get into a situation where it's going to be fighting harder, going to get into other current, and it's going to wrap you up. And that is a much greater risk in snapping off that 7 or 6x tippet than that fish itself. Getting it wrapped around a rock, getting it wrapped around a log is going to be a much bigger problem. If you let that fish go and you have a lot more space between you and that fish, that's where you're going to get into problems. So play it well, play it efficiently, have faith in your quality leader material, uh, and, and you will do fine. All right. That was 22 minutes, just quick midge primer. Now, are there, um, you know, alternate ways of doing everything that I said? Absolutely. Like I said, I was fishing a five and a half foot rod with a short leader, uh, and a long stretch of seven X, uh, tippet this, uh, this last week, catching all sorts of fish on midges, nice fat, feisty brown trout. We're going after the uh, size 24 uh, flies. I don't even know what the fly is called. It looked like a small wet fly, although I greased the thing up like crazy with um, with floatant. And that's a, that's a whole other thing I didn't talk about, you know, a floatant application. Um, tiny bit of floatant on the fly and then floatant on the tippet uh, 12 to 18 inches above that fly to give it a little bit of a boost. And then make sure you have some sort of shake on uh, uh, floating reapplication because that thing will get wet just by being small, by being sucked into that surface film. And then of course, best case scenario, you catch a couple of fish. Uh, but, uh, there's all different ways to do it. Fishing emergers is it's whole, a whole other aspect of, of talking, but it's basically the same thing. Only you have to be paying attention to the surface film and you have to be keeping that fly dry so that it's not sinking too much and just staying in that surface film. But again, we're, we're closing in on 25 minutes. Uh, I love fishing midges again, primarily because it gives you an opportunity to fish dry flies in most places, uh, 12 months out of the year. And that's a lot of fun, but there's going to be times where that's going to give you the best opportunity to sight fish. It's going to give you the best opportunity to catch lots of fish. And sometimes you're going to watch a very large trout that is just sitting in that surface film, opening its mouth up, taking fly after fly after fly. And for whatever reason, in its little fish brain, it has determined that this is the most efficient and effective way for it to use the least amount of, of calories to gain the most amount of calories. It's not the most, you know, a prop popular way for large fish to feed. They like to eat big, you know, meals. Uh, but, uh, there are some fish that this is their preferred method of eating. And so regardless of the reason why, regardless of the fish you're pursuing, being able to fish midges is a great thing for you to do. And you can do it. You can fish a size 24 fly. Uh, I, I guarantee it. I don't guarantee it, but you know what I mean? I think you probably can. This week on castingacross.com. First article that came out on Monday was called Achieving Peak Orvis. Uh, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek article here, but uh, this has to do with me buying an Orvis dog bed for Ember, my husky Labrador mix. He's a good boy, and so he deserved a good dog bed. And so I bought him 
a dog bed from Orvis. Now, why is it such a big deal? Am I talking about how, uh, you know, how luxurious my lifestyle or my dog's lifestyle is? No, you have to read the article to find out why this is particularly uh, um, important for me and maybe uh, interesting uh, for you. Wednesday's article is called A Picture is Worth. All right, so can't talk about this one too much. And in fact, I didn't talk a whole lot on Wednesday, uh, but I had a fly fishing adventure. I don't have a lot of these adventures anymore. A lot of times it's just I go fishing. Um, and just where I am in life, where I am in work slash ministry, uh, I, I don't get to do wild and crazy stuff. But I did a relatively wild and relatively crazy thing uh, earlier this week and involved... Um, as I mentioned in the article, uh, making right something I should have done 25 years ago. It involved the payout of an article uh, that I wrote about five years ago. It involved uh, a last cast miracle, lowercase m miracle, uh, and it involved a, a lot of time in the car and a really, really good uh, 48 hours. So a little bit of a preview for something that'll come after I have a good opportunity to sit down and write this out well. But uh, there's a pretty picture of a little trout. It's not a little trout. It's like a 12, 14 inch trout, but it's a smaller trout, but it was a great trout. And uh, pay attention if you can to the rod in the background of the header image of that picture. This week's recommendation on the podcast is a simple little tool that I think you should use. It is Loon Outdoors Large Caddy. And what does it caddy? It caddies floatant. And all it is is a nylon strap with a buckle on the end of it with two loops. And in one loop, you are able to put a bottle of floatant, so traditional like gel floatant. And in the other loop, you can put a little jar of the shake-on floatant. Yes, you could just keep this stuff in your sling pack or in your vest or in your pocket. But I find that if things are out, then you're more likely to use them. So if having your stuff accessible and having them both together means that you apply that shake on float that has that desiccant as well as that floating in it uh, quicker than you would if you had in your pocket, then it's worth it. And to have them both at hand for $11, it is, it's just a, a no-brainer. So um, it's a little bit large, but especially if you fish a sling pack, then it'll be out of your way. It'll be behind your back. Or if you have like a backpack, you can put it on your strap or you know, it, it can keep it out of your way. Or even if you have a vest, you can keep them together. And then when you grab it, it it's all right there. They're not just loose bottles uh, banging around. So I love using large caddy. It goes with me. It's part of my uh, like my my A team tool set, um, I keep my best nippers attached to that, and my um, my spools of tippet attached to it, and so it just goes from pack to pack, uh, to backpack to sling pack, you know, to pocket wherever I need to take it. So I'll put a link to Loon Outdoors Large Caddy on this post's page over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and then leave a rating and review on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.